Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Um, I think we technically took a week off, I guess. It's been a bit of a slow, uh, um, slower news time anyways, in terms of narratives and stuff. But uh, we definitely have some stuff to talk about. And uh, uh, not, a lot of, not, not all of it is um, good, that is for sure. There is. Uh, it's been another week for massive news coming out, uh, even if it hasn't been... Plentiful. The things we do have to talk about are very important. And uh, uh, I guess the first part we'll start with is a resignation from Anaheim Ducks general manager, Bob Murray. Uh, He's resigning and will enroll in the alcohol abuse program. Uh, This came after um, some allegations of how he's treated people. It came out. uh, The team, I believe, launched launched their own investigation. And on uh, Wednesday night, he uh, announced that he'll be resigning and enrolling in the alcohol abuse program immediately. it's, I don't, I don't even know what to say about this, to be honest, Chase. Like, uh, I just seemed out of nowhere. I don't know if you had heard anything about it, but I certainly hadn't. Um, I definitely hadn't. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, I think it was Greg Wyshynski was on puck soup and basically said that when he was emailing, he's like, I've never had such an overwhelming, just like disdain from people that he talked to where they're like, well, I'm, I haven't heard about that, but I'm not surprised that dude's an ass. Yeah. Um, and it which, sounds like the main thing that came out was just very abusive towards people. So I can't be super shocked that people hate him. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. Like it's just one of those things where um, uh, it's hard to comment on. Um, yeah. We are, really don't know enough. No, and, oh. and um, you know, like it's one of those things where, you know, we can talk about the on ice stuff, but that doesn't even feel important right now. Like, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's one of those things where um, you know it's good. It's obviously good that. The story came out. It's not good that obviously it happened. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like kind of tough to talk about it all because obviously, hopefully, he gets the help he needs or whatever. And it sucks for people on the other end of whatever he's done. But it's not like we know a ton. And there's kind of not much to be said, really. No. And like, I'm just reading this ESPN report and, um, says, moments after the news was announced, the NHL released a statement tying the investigation back to its hotline used for reporting such tips and details. I don't know if that's actually how this came out or what, but um, yeah, it's uh, uh, the assistant general manager, Jeff Solomon, will take over as the interim GM, uh, and they said they will be searching for one later this year. Um, so, you know, there's uh, the, the, the wording that was used was... Uh, into allegations of improper professional conduct. Uh, Anaheim did not specify when these complaints were made or how many people have come forward. So, you know, that's as little details we have, but uh, it's very noteworthy stuff because, um, um, you know, the Ducks are, like, he's been there for a very, very long time. Yeah, he's been there for forever. It's kind of amazing how long some of these people hold these jobs in the NHL, despite just aggressive mediocrity, at least recently. Yeah, and um, and that's the thing. It's if we want to get into the on ice stuff here, which, you know, um, it's not like he's done a particularly good job in the past couple of years. Anaheim has been a disgustingly mediocre team that can't decide if they want to rebuild or try and go for it, even though they should definitely be doing the former. Yeah, and it looks like they almost just like didn't have a choice and they've got some good prospects, but they kind of seem destined for that Minnesota wild territory where Zegras and McTavish and Troy Terry, I'm sure will make up like a like a good good enough core to get you into playoff contention or whatever, but they haven't really done a ton around and then Drysdale obviously hopefully he figures it out. But then after that, it's like uh, you were kind of half in, half out, and it's going to leave you as like the seventh best team in the league if all goes well. Yeah, exactly. Genuinely good. And even then, like, 
I find a team a stretch to be the seventh best team. Like they really well, I meant in the West. Yeah. Oh, seventh yeah, in the yeah. league would actually be pretty uh something to be proud of. Yeah, exactly. And like they have Jacob Perot as well. So it's not like they don't have anyone, but yeah, it definitely feels like they need to get pretty lucky and hit on some prospects um in the upcoming seasons. And uh, you know, th- their biggest problem was they just seem to be stuck in between two cores. Cause even now, like there's just no reason to have Jacob Silverberg for three more years at 5.25. Uh, Adam Harik is at three more years at 5.825. Like, all right, you know, maybe you can you can deal with that. But, um, you know, even like Ricard Raquel, like he should have been moved last year or two years ago when he had value. His value has dropped off a cliff because he has not been great. And like I think they'll still get more value than maybe what he's played as. But like, if they like there's just a bunch of guys that they probably could have moved on a year or two from ago and if they would have done so gave themselves a lot more assets to put them in a better position uh than what they are now you know exactly and count or not Cam fowler uh josh manson's the one too where it looked like they really should have traded him because an additional trevor zegers level prospect seems way more valuable to these guys than a whole bunch of the middling pieces they have sitting there and they're late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. Like, I, I know you need to keep some people, but sure. Like keep Cam Fowler then, but like, yeah. Or move keep on Lindholm from, or whatever. Yeah. Or yeah. Keep Lindholm and said, move on from Manson and, or move on from two of them. And, and they, and sign Chattenkirk like they did, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. I don't know. The, the on ice stuff definitely has been underwhelming to say the least, you know, they're, um, they have not, they don't have their third this year. They have uh, the Leafs fifth and Nashville sixth, uh, but they don't have their own sixth or their own seventh. So even this year, they have six total picks and two of them are in the first three rounds. Like it's not, it's nothing groundbreaking. Now, again, I, I think that they are going to be in a position to be selling. Um, so they, they should be able to recoup some more when they sell guys like Raquel uh, Lindholm's up, but you know, they've started the year nine, four, and three. Uh, and I bet you if they're in a playoff spot, they're going to justify keeping these guys instead of selling, which to me would just be a big mistake. Yeah, exactly. Even if they're like, you know, what's going to happen is they're going to be like the ninth best team in the West come trade deadline time. They're going to keep everybody. Oh, yeah. And it's not like uh, they're dominating play or anything, they're sitting currently at 25th in Corsi four percentage. Uh, and they have a sub 50 expected goals, which put it's 48.26, which puts them 23rd. So, yeah, like, it's amazing again, what uh 925 from John Gibson can do again, literally. And like 23rd is literally what we just described this team as being as. Like, sure, I can see how they'd be better than like the Blackhawks and Sharks and Seattle when Seattle's not getting a single save from Grubauer and the Senators or whatever, but it's like. Like they're not much like they're, they're no, you know, like, it's just like, they're not better than their true talent level is not better than Calgary. It's not better than the golden Knights. That's for sure. And even like the Kings, I think, and even maybe the Canucks, I think they're worse at, unless the rookies really take a massive step forward. But at that point, it's still the rookies driving your team. It's not the 29 year olds, 30 year olds that are coming off the books this year. Yeah, 100%. There's just such a such a sad team looking to head nowhere. Yeah, like I, I I really don't know what the future of this team is unless like Zegris, McTavish, and Drysdale all become like legit stars. Yeah, and if specifically they, they've got enough kind of depth there at forward that they should be fine to at least put out like a league average forward core, maybe slightly better. All their eggs are kind of in the basket of Drysdale on the back end. And that might be tough if he does not figure it out. His results are really underwhelming thus far. And he's still young. He's 19 year old defenseman. Um, He can obviously figure it out, but uh, playing a defenseman really young on a horrible team does seem to be how to ruin them one one So that would scare me. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head how many people we see be absolutely horrible for the first four years of their career and actually turn it around when they get somewhere else. It's it's not a big list. 
No. And Look like, at, like wrist align in this year, sucking's a fun proof of concept of like, hey, just because you were in Buffalo to develop doesn't mean you're magically good elsewhere. Yeah. And like the only one I can even think of is like Cody Cece being an okay third pair defenseman when he's used like that. And like, if that is the victory lap you're taking as a path for Jamie Drysdale, you are in a lot of trouble. 100%. And even CC, like I remember back in the day, my model would have him as like a five or a six. Just when you use him like a two or a one, he gets killed. Yeah. So, and, uh, and I don't he know. goes to Pittsburgh and they used him like a five or a six. And guess what? He was like a five or a six. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I don't really have much more to say on this situation. I, um, it's, and again, it's unfortunate. I'm glad that it's out there and I hope that people, you know, who have, uh, uh, face similar things, you know, can see this and feel confident to stand up. You know, uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's just another tick in the massive culture problem that is clearly evident in the NHL and, you know, when these things happen, it uh, reminds you of how bad of a place it is. But, uh, you know, at the very least, you just try and hope that it is getting a little bit better. Um, you know, very small win and it's not a positive situation, but you try and take the positives out of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and then another staying on this topic. And again, I, I just I really don't have too much to say, but we need to bring it up anyways. Uh um, the mother of John Doe too, uh, in the Blackhawk sexual assault cases uh, allegations came out and spoke last week as well with Rick Westhead of TSN. Um, it was a former high school hockey player at the time who was sexually assaulted in 2013 uh, by Brad Aldridge. And I believe this is what actually led him to being arrested, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but obviously this... This happened after the Chicago incident, which it's just, this is the saddest thing to me is that like, if anyone just had an ounce of decency in the Chicago boardroom, this wouldn't have happened. Or this would have been significantly less likely to happen. Yep. This seemed like the most avoidable problem in the world, at least in hindsight, but also you shouldn't need hindsight to know that these, these actions are bad. And even going above and beyond of forget how stupid it is that they thought taking the team's video coach out could like ever hurt uh, a Stanley cup run. What is even worse is that they openly campaign and like helped him get another job. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is maybe the most, heinous part looking back because like uh, there are obviously the Chicago Blackhawks did not handle this well but like there are worlds in which good people can have someone on their staff do this Um, but there should not be and I don't really believe there are worlds in which good people go actively campaign for people like this to go uh, work somewhere else no especially when they knew about it you know like yeah Yes. Yeah. If you knew about it, if you didn't know about it, um, sometimes uh, terrible people are really good at tricking people. That's what allows them. But uh, if you knew about it, like the Blackhawks did, God, this is just horrible. Yeah. And like, it's just, there's nothing good to say. And, um, you know, it's just, it's sad to say, I don't like, do you have anything else to to say on, on this subject? I don't think so. It's sad. No, I'm glad. They cleaned house in Chicago. Yeah, me too. And you know, I, I hope it uh, it continues. Um, you know, it's it's another thing where um, uh, I know someone else brought up that the league is not actually paying for um, the treatment uh, of John Doe two in terms of counseling and stuff like that, uh, which is kind of gross. Uh, not surprising because. They don't want to be considered liable. Um, so they left it up to the Chicago Blackhawks, who I saw the latest I saw from Chicago was that they will, but they want records of how it actually affected him, which is just, again, the most disgusting thing in the world. I get it's probably their lawyers, but just the grossest thing in the world. Like, Yeah, prove your life was made worse by being sexually assaulted. Like, imagine what 
kind of a person you'd have to be to write that out. Yeah. And even the whole NHL stuff, it's like, well, are you surprised? Here comes the lawyer talk. Like you shouldn't expect it anything else than this. It's like, that doesn't make it okay. Yeah, exactly. Just because it's expected, it's still absolutely fucking horrible to hear. Yeah, like, and, you know, like, they're, they're, and like even, I don't know, I, I'm obviously not a lawyer, but the idea that uh, offering to help with payment of stuff that because of, you know, what this guy went through automatically equals you're liable. It's like, no, there's definitely ways that they could offer payment and, you know, I don't know. Like, it just, it seems so stupid to me that it has to be one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And like, maybe legally there is literally no way, but it really feels like there's got to be something you could do. You're a billion dollar organization, like figure it out. Absolutely. So um, I, I, I really, again, just such a shitty situation made even worse because multiple people one of many people could have done even the slightest thing to change it Um, yeah so um and then speaking of chicago uh, some on ice news they finally fired a mercy firing really and jeremy Colton, the head coach uh the team has been off to a four nine and two start and i believe they were like two uh sorry one nine and two they're on a three-game win streak i believe under the new coach uh one nine and two start to the year uh the only team worse than them was the arizona coyotes who are an amazing 113 and one so far this year uh masterful tank job they have a negative 37 goal differential right now they're over under i wonder for the win and you know we'll get to blackhawks again in a second if i said the over under for coyotes wins at 18 are you taking the over the under Like the statistician in me thinks they gotta hit at least 18, but <laughs> I I don't know if I'd want either side of that line to be honest. That is isn't that just insane? To like I I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words. Okay, this makes me think about something too. They're talking about this on the PFF forecast. So they go through a lot of work to like statistically estimate the strength of every team so they can bet on said rankings, right? Yeah. Uh, Through backtesting, something they added this year was a dummy variable for tanking because they found, uh, they they found it to be statistically significant teams that just like obviously weren't trying. You could quantify how shitty they were and then they would underperform that when they were obviously tanking. And I feel like some sort of similar analysis needs to be get done whenever talking about the Coyotes this year, where it's like, look, I know the roster's bad, maybe even expect it to be worse than that because there's just obviously nothing there. Yeah, like they have to play on a 73-point pace for the rest of the year to hit 60 points. Yeah, I pushed like- so hard. Some uh, DraftKings had, I think it was DraftKings, had their over-under set at like 73 and a half. And I put so much money into that account to bet the living hell out of that under only to find out that it was only for Canadian or for uh, people in specific States in the U S I was so mad. Yeah, that is tough. And like, I'm just trying to find the um, red wings, 2020 points for comparison for like people who are trying to understand how bad that is in 2020, the red wings who put up like the worst, season we have ever said at 39 and 71 um which is on pace for about 45 points um right now obviously and like i there's just no way you can be putting up three points in 15 games the entire way yeah but right now the coyotes are on point on pace for 16.4 points that's epic In one of the old Rob Volman books, he estimates that a replacement level team would score 52 points in a season. You want the under on that, right? For the Coyotes? Probably. Like (laughs) a below replacement level franchise. Like just almost impressive. Like I'm thinking, I don't know, man. Yeah. Like I, I, I want to say no, but like, 
it's so hard for me to convince just how bad it's like, how is this going to get any better? Their goaltenders aren't going to start stealing wins. Yeah. Who they were playing somebody from the Leafs waiver wire fodder that Boyd. They're playing Boyd as their first line center last night. Yeah. And like Travis Boyd was like the 17th forward on Charles depth, maybe 15th, but like. Yeah. It was just kind of like generic depth, dude. That like he was so obscure he barely even got talked about on leafs twitter and now he's playing first line center on the coyotes i'm just going through teams at the bottom so 2018-19 the Sens were the last place team they had 64 points 2017-18 the sabers were the last place team with 62 um 2016-17 uh, the Avs were with 48. That was that other just like disgustingly bad year. And like, yeah. So out of the three or four I just listed there, like the Avs are the only one I think um, the Coyotes didn't have a shot to be in the realm with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Truly a special team. Oh my God. That is just incredible. I wonder what can you get their projected point total on money puck? Uh, that is what I'm trying to do sure. right now. I know you can't get their, their playoff odds would be zero, but yeah, I'm sure they'd be like plus fifty thousand or something on playoff odds. Um, sorry, this isn't the greatest podcast. I'm just a, I'm really in awe. I didn't realize it was quite that bad. I knew the team was like horrid. They're but averaging four goals against per game. That is, it's so impressive. <laughs> I love this team. It's not even like the funniest part is it's not even like it's just their. I obviously their goaltending sinking them because any goaltending has to be bad to be that reasonable degree. But like they're twenty sixth and twenty seventh in expected goals in Corsi four. It's which isn't good by any means, but it's not like they're the thirty second team just getting like just blast into oblivion with shots. Yeah, that's less bad than I expected. But, but like part of that is, especially expected goals, is obviously it's just expected. When you don't have the shooting talent like they do, you're you're not going to get the, you're like you're not, you're going to score less than what you uh, generate expected anyway. So that is yeah. definitely part of it. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm really curious to see. So, you know, obviously we've praised them quite a bit for how they, this is definitely the best way to give yourself the best odds of the first overall pick, which is what the goal should be for this team. And they have absolutely, they put themselves in a position where even if they pick third and did they switch the lottery or am I just dreaming that like, is only two lotteries they have now or am I dreaming? Uh, I don't remember. Honestly, the Leafs have been good. I've paid very little attention to the lottery uh, recently. NHL, okay, yeah. NHL draft announces lottery changes for 2021. Drawings reduced to two limits added in 2022 that teams that win uh, can move up. So you can only move up 10 spots, no more. Because they they were basically, the league said it. That's the Rangers rule. A chance that the Rangers could do exactly what they did in two years. And that happened. And they go, how could we ever have seen this coming? We need to change it again. Stupid yep. league. I remember being so mad about this now. Anyways, the good news is for the Arizona Coyotes, they are almost already guaranteed the worst they are picking is third overall. And I would assume <laughs> they have about a 24% shot and close to almost a 50% shot to be picking top two. Oh, I would think it's got to be high already. Because I think, um, let me see, NHL draft lottery simulator. I'm assuming it's a, it's usually about uh, 22% chance of the first overall pick. 16.6%. Um, little little grosser than I thought, actually. Um, but, yeah, and then I think it's another, I don't know how much, but uh, another 20-something percent at the uh, second overall pick, 30% maybe. Uh, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. No, but even then, okay. I, I really shouldn't be doing this on the fly like this because even I'm just trying to think like, let's say the New Jersey devils who are currently the 
16th worst team in the league. They have a 1% chance of winning. In this scenario, if they win the lottery, they only move up to sixth spot anyways. Which I don't really understand, because at that point, why are you doing the lottery? The yeah, NHL is so weird where they just, like, allow the possibility of things to happen. And then when it does happen, they're like, what the fuck? Like, how, how could this possibly have existed? And they keep, well, like, I don't know if they just don't know what they want or what. Yeah, well, I think, it's, yeah, I think part of the problem, too, is that, okay, so here, I'm sorry. I have now have the, it's 25.7% for first, 18.7 for two, 55.6 for three. And that is mixed in. So the 25 is mixed in with the fact that, um, you know, the bottom five teams physically cannot win, even if they quote unquote won the lottery. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, but yeah, just the stupidest thing in the world, because I, I feel like they just so short-sighted where they don't. And like, it's sad to say this, but I honestly feel like people in the higher ups don't understand how math works. And we see that time and time again, because what ends up happening is the, um, you know, the people who are making these rules will go, oh, well, there's no way that one of the teams with 1% chance can win the lottery multiple times. They only <laughs> have a 1% to 4% chance, not realizing that when you add that up, it actually equals the amount that the bottom place team has. Yeah. It is kind of like a like a Murphy's Law thing that's happened to them, to be fair, where it's like anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Because the first reason they had to change it was because Edmonton won a shitload of times in a row. Um that's pretty wild and probably I think Edmonton only had like a half a percent chance of winning that often or whatever. And then like the Rangers got lucky twice in a row, which again, probably only had like a 2% chance of happening or whatever. There's been some clusters of like bad luck, quote unquote, if you define uh, unlikely outcomes happening back to back as bad for the NHL, but it's just really funny. Yeah. And like, I guess, cause like the thing is, I think because the Rangers are the ones that jumped twice, like, Let's say if the Rangers jumped in 2019, but it was, I don't know, like Dallas or someone who was right by the Rangers in 2020, and it was a team that jumped twice in a row, but not the same one. I don't yeah. think it would have been as big of an, an issue. But again, the NHL gave themselves this issue. You yep. know, like. Yep, they could have hard coded into the rules that you can only win the lottery once every three years or something. And that would help disincentivize tanking, like they always say they want to do too, is the funniest part. Yeah, or just, I don't know. Yeah, like I, I guess if you really wanted this, because I, I, I made my thoughts clear on the lottery, like people are going to tank no matter what. To me, it's either you need to accept, if you're going to have a lottery, you need to accept that there is a possibility. A good team or a decent team wins that lottery. Yep. If if it's you're not going to happen, yep. Yeah, if you're not willing to accept that, don't have a effing lottery, and the worst team gets the first overall pick. And yep. for the life of me, I can't understand. And I but get the, NFL the little, does. biggest I, biggest league exactly. on the continent. And I was about to say it's a little different because the NFL is not quite as heavy on ticket revenue. Um, so when a yeah. team is open and also there's only 60 or eight home games, some have seven if they're in Europe. So it's like even Lions fans half the time that are like on the way to like an 016 in one season, there's like six games that they might go out to anyway. So it's a little different than the NHL who like needs 41 games of gate revenue. But again, part of that is because your incompetent leaders didn't get a good enough TV deal at the time. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's also one other thing, too, where everybody understands that there's some sort of cutoff point, right, where like any time two teams play, there's a probability that each is going to win. You can quantify that different ways, but you think about just like betting markets or whatever. And everybody understands that there's a line at which your, your team is so unlikely to win that teams fans stop caring. There's been studies on this. It, people think it comes around 20% chance if your team has less than a 20% chance of winning, um, then the fans really stop caring and it gets really hard to sell tickets and whatnot. The one weird thing about hockey being the one that say, says they're so against tanking is hockey being so noisy means you actually don't have to disincentivize it as hard because even horrible hockey teams have a difficult time getting under 20% chance win probability. Whereas 
even like the third worst or fourth worst football team in the league has less than that on any given night when they play a good playoff team. Yeah, all you have to do in football is just dress a third-string QB. Yeah, dress a third-string QB against a good QB with a decent situation, and that is almost certainly going to happen. Whereas in hockey, like a ridiculous amount of things have to go wrong for a team for them to get under that 20% chance to win. And yet hockey's the one that seems to concern itself so, so much. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. Um, the Ducks have won seven games in a row, by the way. That's why I was so surprised to see them that high in the Pacific. Um, <laughs> let's get back to the Blackhawks. Uh, so they they were 2-9-2 uh, and two to start the season under uh, Jeremy Colleton. He gets fired. Uh, we all knew it was coming. Basically a mercy fire. Um, they win three in a row since. I think that's just natural regression. As funny as it was that the Hawks absolutely sucked, Again, we just talked about how bad it is for the Coyotes to be 113 and one. The Blackhawks have more talent than the Coyotes. There was no way they were going one nine and two all the way through the season. Yeah. Regression to the mean is the most powerful force in the universe. Yeah. They're never so, going to be that bad. Even though they're they are worse than I expected. Like, like I think they're last in the league in XG. Oh, yeah. And uh second last, the Rangers are the only team um uh, yes. Actually, no, they're in that. That's Corsi. Sorry, yeah, the, they are last in expected goals. Um, vintage Rangers oh. playing like they got Hank again, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to see if that is let me just pull up per 60 rates here. Um, yeah, and the other thing is too, I, I think people, even people who are a little higher on them, even if they didn't think they were going to be defensively juggernauts. They're like, oh well, Mark Andre, Mark Andre Fleury will help mask some of the issues, and he's been like actively hurting this team too. Yeah, yeah, you being lower on Fleury to start the season looks pretty good, eh? Yes, and like, granted, I can't take that big of a victory lap because I didn't think he'd post like an eight eighty and be like one of the worst goalies. <laughs> but I, I did yeah, say I... there's zero reason to expect a Vesna caliber season, and I. I, to be honest, I, I do believe I said it was more likely has this kind of season than a Vesna caliber season. So yeah, and I'd love to see what his adjusted numbers are. To be honest, I haven't looked at them, but I can't even imagine those are good. No, I highly doubt it. Um, yeah, although playing in front of this team, I think Vesna candidate goalies could look aggressively pedestrian, <laughs> given how be, horrible they've been. I don't think been. any any goalie is really going to look behind this. Good no. behind this team, but like um, Halibut's putting up a nine twelve or like ten behind this team, probably. Yeah. but like Mark Andre Fleury, um, from a goal saved above expected from Evolving Hockey's uh, model, the only three goalies worse: Carter Hutton for Arizona who has minus 10 goals of saved above expected in three games. Uh, Carol, <laughs> I, I can't even pronounce his name. Who's Carol it? Baskins. Other, uh, yeah. Uh, Veg, Veg Melka? Veg Melka? He's the other Arizona Coyote starter. It was a minus 6.66 goals against uh, a goal saved above expected in 12 games. And Philip Grubauer was twelve goal, uh, minus 12 goals saved above expected in 12 games. Has actively sunk the Seattle Kraken this year. Um, those are the only three where goalies worse than Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, Grubauer has um, been another fun one who's just imploded. Yes, uh, other goalies down there right now is Casey DeSmith, who has played three games and been abysmal. Linus Allmark, who has played six games and not been great. Spencer Knight, who has noticeably struggled in seven games as a minus five goal save above expected. Um, it's a bunch of backups that have really, really struggled, and Cam Talbot. Um, yeah. But yeah, like that's that's where Flurry is, and so it's it's one of those things where the team also fun fact. You want to know who leads goal saved above expected so far this year? Is it Bob still? Nope, he is in third. Carter Hart's in fourth. The one yeah, and only Frederick Anderson. Of course it is. I hate goalies <laughs> so passionately. Uh, yeah, Jack Campbell's in first for goal saved above average. Anderson's second for that. Um, but yeah. anyways. I'm getting real distracted today, but um, yeah, like this team sucks. <laughs> There's no way to put it other than that for the, the Chicago Blackhawks. They rank 24th in expected goals against per 60. Um, that I think that number, and they let rank dead last in expected goals for per 60. Um, so, you know, they're not a good defensive team by any means. They're not getting goaltending and they can't generate shots to save their life. 
that is a recipe for being bad. Yeah, that's a bad combo. And the funniest thing is they don't have their first round pick this year. Which, oh, yeah, I no, forgot about that. It went over in the Seth Jones trade. It is you know the old the, Micah tweet? The, the, the um, you million, could, pay me a million dollars to say no to bad things 10 times a year or whatever? Yeah. You could have yeah. paid someone $50 million last year to say, don't do that on the Seth Jones trade, and they would have been worth it. And I think you could have found a lot of $50 million. Dollars. I would have done it for like 60 bucks if they, if they DM'd me. <laughs> the worst is like, and so, um, so it's top two protected. If they win one of the two. So this could be very, like there is a very, very good chance. This is like the third overall pick and they give it up. Yep. It did not and exactly they, take a genius to see this coming. And God, this makes me happy. And even if they don't, like, let's say it is that they finish bottom two, they win one of the lotteries. It becomes an unprotected 2023 first. What makes you think this team's going to be any better next year? Yeah, like, maybe- there's a pr- then you're betting on 30, what, eight year old flurry being better who doesn't even have a contract at that time. 28 year old Jones being better. You're betting on 34 year old Kane and what, 35 year old Taze to be better. That's a lot of bets that aren't fun. Yeah. And like, maybe the only thing you're hoping for is just natural regression. And you know, it's going to be like the fifth or sixth overall pick anyways, but there's a very, very good chance that this is a very high pick getting moved. And the thing of like, yeah, it's always fun when we can go and tutor Horner or whatever. It's like, oh yeah. Especially like as quote unquote stats people, I would say as well, it's fun to kind of circle back on it and be like, Hey, this is one of the things we got right. As soon as this trade went down, even people who like Seth Jones went, Jesus That's a lot for Seth Jones, you know? Like, yeah. When when people saw it, it was Boquist, the 12th overall pick, a second uh, round pick, and another first for the 32nd overall pick of Seth Jones and a massive Seth Jones contract. Yeah, even people who were like, didn't mind Seth Jones at the time were like, oh, yikes, that's a lot for Seth Jones. Yeah. It's, and like the, the, the most insane thing is, the people who made that trade, almost none of them are in the organization anymore. It's almost beautiful. Jeez. I don't even feel bad for the team. Like, fuck them, but. Yeah, fuck the team. It's so it's so fun with all, with all the team watching it burn. I feel bad yes. for guys like Debrinkit or whatever who just had nothing to do with it and are just kind of stuck there thanks to the RFA system. But Oh, yeah. Well, as a whole, it's uh, so nice to watch them burn. Jeremy Colleton as well. Um, let's be honest, he got dealt a pretty shit hand. I don't know if he's a good coach or a bad coach. What I do know is there's no possible way you could tell from this. Yeah, they were atrocious defensively, which is usually like the coach's calling card or whatever to talk about defense. Like, I would definitely not want to be the next team to hire a Culleton, but it's Definitely not impossible given how horrible of a hand he was dealt that he gets hired somewhere else. And it's like a perfectly fine coach. It's, I think it's very obvious to me. He is not going to be a head coach anywhere else uh, for the near. He's going to have to do that thing where he's either an AHL head coach somewhere or an assistant coach for four or five more years and builds up his value uh, and and then gets another shot at kind of like um, who's in Anaheim right now, Dallas Akins. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In Edmonton. Yeah, or he like, failed in Edmonton, but yeah. Exactly. And then it's not like Anaheim's been going great, but it's definitely been better and he's been dealt a real shit hand too. So, um, and I think there was someone else who's having some success doing that now too, but I can't put my name, I, their name on it. But um, yeah, like I, I think it's clearly going to be one of those things where no team is hiring him as the next NHL head coach. Like this isn't like, was it John Hines the last year who immediately got hired by Nashville after getting fired by the Devils? And everyone was like, why? Um, yeah it's not going to be that kind of scenario, but yeah, I can definitely see him getting, you know, um, an assistant coach somewhere or maybe an AHL head coach and work his way back up the ranks because, and I think that would be fair, you know, as, as much as we, we say it's an old, old, old boys club. I mean, Hey, I, I'm never going to complain if he doesn't get a job because you're going for a more unknown younger quantity or whatever, but at the same time, 
there's worse guys to just try and take a shot on as an assistant coach than a, like he's pretty young too. I'm pretty sure he's like 39, 40, who's been in the league for five years coaching. Yeah, yeah, you could do worse. I just would wouldn't be my first choice. No, especially not for a head. Like I don't know. I just I don't know how much an defensive assistant coach has in terms of value, anyways. Um, yeah, I don't know. It gets really negative because, like, we barely even know enough about evaluating actual coaches. Never mind anyone else on the staff. Yeah, Jeremy Collinson's thirty-six years old. So, like, Duncan Keith is older than him, just playing under him last year. Was he the youngest coach in the league? He gotta be, that, right? right? I would think so. Has to be. Like, he was only, and and this again, like, this is part of it is. He was playing like so. When we talk about this scandal, he was playing with the New York Islanders when this was happening, not as a coach, as an actual player. He was in the NHL. Yeah, he had fifty-seven all the more, but yeah, fifty-seven NHL games. He was mostly an AHLer, uh, and then went over to Sweden for in 2013-14 was his last uh, year of hockey, and then he retired, and then started coaching in 2017-18. At least coaching high enough that uh, Hockey DB notes it, anyways. Um, had two years in the AHL and then uh, a year and not even two years, a year and a bit, 12 games into the 2018-19 season, he replaced Glenville, um, which again is a bad enough hand to be being dealt anyways. Um, granted at the time, you know, looking back on it, it's uh, Quenville's legacy is definitely going to be staying forever. But at the time, what Quenville meant to that organization, uh, it's a little different, but um yeah, yeah, at the time, know. it's like falling up the greatest coach in the organizations, or maybe not the organization because they had the one Bowman and one, I think, but uh, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Not a fun guy to follow up. No. Um, so Derek King is the interim head coach. Uh, he's been pretty good so far. I think he's 3-0, <laughs> his record. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I doubt he'll be the full-time guy, although if they just kind of play mass slash whatever this year, Sometimes you see the um, assistant coach or this interim guy get extended for another year or two if the team knows they're going to suck anyways. It all kind of depends, I think, on if the players like him, you know, what his attitude is. But um, I'd be pretty surprised if they bring anyone in for this year. I'd assume they just let him play it out and then figure out what they're doing at the end of the year. Yeah, and there's likely to be bigger fish to fry in Chicago because you probably want to bring specifically with Chicago, I definitely don't think they're going to bring anyone else in because they want to come up with long-term solutions at a lot more important positions for head coach, get long-term position, get people in for the long run um, that you want picking your coach, not your coach would be my goal in Chicago right now. Yeah, exactly. So um, other big piece of news here in the NHL is the Ottawa senators have three games delayed to a COVID outbreak. Uh, They have been dealing with it all week. Uh, I will definitely have more thoughts on this uh, on my sense based podcast. That'll be coming out probably tomorrow. The day people are listening to this I'm recording as well tonight. I'll probably have this one out on Tuesday and that one out um, probably Wednesday, I would say. Um, But COVID, I I don't think people were expecting it to have quite the effect this year and it is still, still lurking around, still there. That is for sure. Um, Ottawa has, I think it's nine or 10 players on the COVID list right now, including Drake Batherson, who was on it, came off, scored a four-point game against Pittsburgh on Saturday night, and then got put back on to miss the game Sunday, which I don't know how that happens. Uh, That seems like a bad protocol to allow a player to be able to do that, Um, flawed testing or not, but that is just me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly what happened wrong, but it seems such that you should have systems in place that should not happen at all. Uh, very much agree. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, it's it's interesting. I, I was actually very surprised that it, it has gotten this bad, to be honest, that they had to cancel games. Um, when they had the high 90 vaccination rate, I really thought that meant that even if the outbreaks did happen, it would be easy enough to... Um, slow it and stop it um, because, and uh, I think what we're seeing a is no, this does not mean vaccinations do not work. Give your head a shake. If that is your first thought, um, what we're seeing is a, I think they got a little unlucky that it sounds like most of the guys in with the sense players who do have COVID are still do have some symptoms. Um, 
which is unfortunate because I know there's been other times, like we've seen in the NFL guys get placed on the protocol and they're actually back within three or four days because they had no symptoms and it cleared up that quickly or whatever. Right. But uh, it hasn't been the case, unfortunately for the sense players. And um, yeah, there's just only so long you can play with basically an AHL lineup. And now it's to the point where I think they were scared that it might be spreading to their opponents. Um, and you know, the last thing you need is to shut the whole league down because you refuse to shut one team down for six days or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It seems like the smart thing to do, just live to die another day, shut it down and figure it out later. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, like, again, it's, it's sense fans are pissed because they're like, this should have happened a week ago. I really don't agree with that. And at least as an aggressive, I think it definitely should have happened before this weekend when they had like their seventh and eighth players or whatever added onto it. And like one of their assistant coaches on it, but no one was complaining about that after they won, they kicked Pittsburgh's ass on Saturday night. It was just, as soon as they lost again on Sunday, people start complaining. It's like, okay, well we can't have it one way and not the other. Yeah. Admittedly, I would not want to be the guy who has to make, make the decisions of when to call these things. Cause a lot of it's really obvious in hindsight, but not that obvious going into it. And there's a lot of variables that matter. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. So, um, yeah, there's, again, like there's not much more to say about that other than it'll be interesting to see how, if this affects the league in any way, other than just having to make up the games. Cause the other thing that people are now talking about is that, um, you know, the, the NHL has until January 10th to opt out of the Olympics basically. So are they going to use something like this as the, any excuse they can find to get out as soon as they can, or, you know, is it going to be that they're going to wait and see how many more things happen or, you know, how is that going to work? Yeah, I have no idea what they're going to do there, to be honest. I don't either. I really, again, I don't envy the person who has to make that decision either. I um, I would imagine, I, I would like to have some hope that uh, um, it's not going to affect anything unless more, play, like, unless it's like an active thing happening around the league. But I don't really yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know how that goes, to be perfectly honest. It'll definitely be a case by, like, this one thing I don't think will be enough to make them pull the plug, but uh, I will guarantee that this one thing will give them enough ammunition to be like, hey, this is why we should be concerned. We want to, you know, not go. What do you guys think? Or, you know, we don't think we should be going and see how much pushback they get from the NHLPA. Yeah, it does seem like something they'll try to use, doesn't it? I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, but you know, uh, again, we'll see, like, I we'll see how long and hopefully it's only the three games. So right now, Ottawa has been, they're missing their game tomorrow night. Uh, it was supposed to be in New Jersey and then they were home to the predators and home to the Rangers Thursday and Saturday. Uh, both those, all three of those games have been canceled. Uh, Ottawa's next game after that is the Monday night. Uh, in Colorado, they're supposed to start a Western road trip. So I think the league's plan is to hope that they are healthy by that point And then, um, or, you know, healthy enough where the spread has stopped and they can get going again from there. But um, yeah, the only other piece of news that I really had today was that uh, Nick Dowd signed a new contract three years, $1.3 million. Not a ton to talk about with this, but uh uh, follows the Washington Capitals mold of they have just decided they are going to play with the exact same team for the next two to three years and be damned if that's successful or not, basically. Yep. They've uh, they found a good team and they want to get marginally worse every year. So they're sticking with it. And honestly, yeah, like, at this point, it seems like the franchise only exists to get Ovi the goal scoring record. And I respect that. It's this is like the ninth contract I feel like they've made where it's like in a vacuum. I'm kind of like, that's not that bad. But then I look at the other contracts they've signed. And it's kind of like, okay, but why? Yeah. Like if, if you're paid like $5 million a year, I don't actually, maybe that's a really high number, but whatever the hell the median GM makes uh, to think about hockey and you can't replace Nick Dowd for $1.3 million over three years, you should not have your job. 
Yeah, and it's not like he's a bad player. Not that he's bad. He's just, like, so incredibly replaceable. Yeah, like, you think anyone making, like, like, Tyler Ennis is making, I think, 900K this year. Yeah, there's almost no need to sign any of your depth players to term because they're all so incredibly replaceable, and he's 31 already. He's going to be 32 when it kicks in. Like, it like just, you're getting I'm, the age 32 to 35 season of Nick Dowd. Like most superstars aren't are bad slash out of the league at 35. Never mind Nick fucking Dowd. And on top of that, you have age 32, 33 season of Lars Eller, 33, 34 of Carl Hagman, uh, 29 and 30 of Garnett Hathaway, uh, 29 and 30 of Connor Sheary on the book still. And like Connor McMichael's there now, Brett Leeson, uh, Axel Johnson. Um, like they're, they're at least got some ELCs here, but it makes me question even more why you need to lock in these depth guys. Uh, Axel Johnson, Faraday, that's his name. Sorry, I was uh blanking on that, but uh, yeah, like I, I just I, I really um, I saw it and I just went, okay, like I guess. This doesn't surprise me because I don't know what else yeah. to say. Like, this is just the most classic capitals contract I've seen. And I don't think that's a great thing, but <laughs> like, no. I, at, at this point, I just, I don't know because I, I, I really, well, so I, I'm really intrigued this year because I heading into the year, I would have said they're going to be the classic good regular season team. They always are. doesn't matter what they do, but I would say their window is pretty slam shut for a cup run. Yeah, for a couple. But, like I said, they seem to only exist to get Obi that record at the moment. Yes, but this is also before I saw an Evgeny Kuznetsov bounce back season. True. If Kuznetsov is going to play like a legitimate one seat, and the big if is this Backstrom, who's hurt right now, can come back at age 35, 36, or 36. How old's Backstrom? No, he's only 33. Not as bad. So if Backstrom can come back at like age 33 and even just be a 2C, and then you get some growth from Connor McMichael as like your 3C, suddenly this forward depth doesn't look near as bad as I thought. And I'm not going to say they're a cup favorite or anything like that, but in a uh, Metro division that we've talked about being wide open for so long, a run is not impossible, at which point now I do go, okay, some of these contracts don't make sense to me because it feels like you could be doing better things with the money. Yeah, that's fair. And also, this has been the closest we've seen to peak OB in a really long time. At least at five on five. Yeah, like, and it just kind of feels like they might, I don't know if throw that away is the right, right way to describe it, but. I know what you mean. Like, and I should, I should mention, like, obviously this Nick Dowd contract doesn't even matter. Uh, in terms of this year's cap hit, it's it starts no. next year. So it's not, but like my bigger points is more just like re-signing Nick Dowd and Connor Sheary and Garnet Hathaway. Like none of them are problem contracts or anything. It's just like, it really does feel like you're just fine with whatever the team is. And you hope that guys like Kuznetsov bounce back and McMichael is really, really good. And like, it's working out for them right now, but it's just not a strategy. I think that is repeatable slash smart long-term. No, it's not what I would want to be doing. That's for sure. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I really, I don't have much more to say on Nick Dowd. It's good for him. Like he got paid $3 million for a fourth line player is love to see it. But uh, in terms of, you know, guys getting paid, um, that like this contract basically doubles his estimated career earnings of 3.7. Good so, for him. Yeah. I, uh, okay. He was a seventh round pick. Really good. I thought he was seventh overall. I was like, what on earth? Um, do you have anything else? Any, anything else you want to look at, uh, discuss, talk about? I don't think so. I don't think I do either. Um, Philip Grubauer was the only thing that, and we've touched on it a couple of times. Like he has been so atrocious to the point where like, 
like I was thinking about it and I didn't realize how little the Kraken had been talked about this year. And then I looked just because they're four, 10 and one. And like people are chalking that up to like, Oh, see, like, like, I don't know. Like the narrative is just like, Oh, see, like Vegas was more lucky or whatever. GMs did learn their, their thing. And it's like, well, no, like this Seattle team is still producing at a fine enough rate. Their goaltending is just killing them. Yeah. There's goalies are just getting absolutely filled in. It's not like their skaters are playing super well or anything, but it's not but like they're awful. Like they're tenth in expected goals. Yeah, yeah, that's good like enough. eighth in Corsi four percentage, and like I get they don't have a ton of shooting talent, so those aren't true talent numbers. But like at worst, that means what? They're probably like they should be like fifteenth to twentieth range. Like it's not like yes. they don't have anyone who can't shoot. Yeah, I give them sixteenth or whatever. It's perfectly league average in terms of like shooting adjusted xG account for the fact that they'll probably have kind of a bad power play or whatever. And, but you're still looking at a round league average, not a bottom feeder. Like they've been right thus far. Yeah. And like, if you go and to be fair, fourth, league average is what Vegas was. They just had like Fesno level goaltending at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It's that, that first year, that team was not amazing in terms of underlying numbers. It was just Mark Audrey flurry posed like a nine thirty that year. And, and for the Kraken, like even, you know, you say, how much can it make? Well, if you take those negative 10 goals saved above expected from Grubauer and you just say that's zero, like it's not even like he's playing above average or expected, just what's expected of him. That's probably three wins right there. Yeah. Maybe yeah, even more, exactly. but if it's three wins, that suddenly makes you seven. Sorry if you can hear the bells going off. Um, we got Christmas decorations up at my house already. Um yeah. Seven seven and one is what the record is instead of four ten and one, um, which would put them at fifteen points, which ties them for the Sharks uh, and like two points behind the Kings right now for fifth in that division. Yeah, that which sounds about right. Again, is exactly kind of right where we had them pegged. You know, like going to be battling for third to fifth in the division probably, um, and the goaltending has sunk them so. Or poor uh, Drieger <laughs> gets re- yeah. replaced by Grubauer, and then Grubauer comes in. It sucks. So bad, too. Like, just. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know how Drieger's playing, but Grubauer's played so many of the games. Like, I'm pretty sure I saw Grubauer's play 12 games of, and what I say they were, 4 10 and 1. So 15 8. So that, that means Drieger's gotten three. I think he's been hurt, actually, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Drew hasn't even played. Yeah. He's, he's he's been hurt. I'm pretty sure because um, uh, I'm like, Joey Decord has been playing. I know he's started a game or two. I think uh, who was the Ottawa guy who they claimed in the expansion draft as well. Yeah, Decord's played yeah. two games. So uh, Drew has been hurt, but um, yeah, it's he definitely would. It's even more poor him then because he had an opportunity with Grubauer playing this bad to steal the net, and he hasn't been healthy enough to do it. Yeah, he hasn't even got the chance to do it. Never mind. Uh... It's too bad. Yeah, it really is. So, um, yeah, other than that, I don't have too much to to say, I don't think. Um, the Predators are second in their division after a three-game winning streak. Um, you know, 15 games in, it's kind of hard to make any. Well, you shouldn't make any determinations. It's just interesting to see the aggressive ups and downs that teams have taken. It's early enough to do a victory lap if you thought something was going to happen and say, well, it's early if you didn't think someone's going to happen. Exactly. Uh, that is the perfect way to describe it. The Islanders are last in their division too. Interesting. Um, anyways, I, I think that's enough then. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening. Uh, we were going to have a guest on this week. Didn't work out. Uh, maybe next week. Uh, we're trying to get one on soon, uh, especially because, you know, on weeks like this, uh, it's – there's not always a ton to talk about. So it's nice getting a fresh voice in here and some fresh opinions and just a topic to really focus on. So we're definitely going to try and get that for one of the next week or two, but um, thank you all for the support. As always, uh, if you want to find my stuff, you can go to lastwordonhockey.com and find me on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff. And I mentioned, I'll be going over the center stuff. My podcast has last word on sends um, chase. Did you want to um, obviously find chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66. Do you want to bring up what you're doing now? Yeah, I got a new job. I guess I haven't really talked about it on the podcast. I, uh, I'm going to be writing again for a sports betting company called The Action Network, and you can find them at Action Network HQ. I don't know exactly when I'm going to start. Probably probably a week or two. Got to get some paperwork figured out, but should be something to look out for in the future. 
yeah so that's exciting keep an eye out for that um thank you everyone for listening um and as, as always we will see you next week